there's only so much you can do as a maintainer. There's only so much you can do as like a founding member of a project versus, you know, what all the people that are going to come in with their own ideas and their own projects and their own sort of success criteria too, right? How do you kind of protect your time as a maintainer and how do you protect the project roadmap? There's all these questions that there's no manual for. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Today we're here with Austin Parker, who is director of open source at Honeycomb. Honeycomb's in the scale portfolio where I work, and so I get to work with Austin and his team quite a bit. But this is the first time Austin and I are talking. Yes, that's true. Thanks for coming on the show. Good to meet you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I recently joined Honeycomb a couple months ago, but I've you know been an external admirer of the the team over there for quite a while, and I've known Charity and Christine and all of them, and they're they're all fantastic humans, which is one of the biggest motivating factors in moving to join them. I've been doing observability stuff for you know five six years now, and when it was time for me to kind of figure out the next step, I wanted to be around people that I felt I shared a lot of you know, values with, and but also that were really interested in being part of this bigger open source story in the observability world. And that's something that Honeycomb was really committed to. So I was very happy to come on board and see that take into its next level, right? And really redouble our commitment to open source and open telemetry. And as an investor, we are very happy to have you on board, Austin. Open telemetry, I think, is I think is underappreciated as a technology, as a community, and Honeycomb, I think, is embracing or, or making open telemetry a more important part of the story with time. And so you're kind of in the middle of some awesome stuff. How did you get there? And how did you get into kind of I don't know if I, everyone knows the path into developer relations even. Was that where you planned on going? It's quite a twisted path. In a lot of ways, you know, my my journey into developer relations is is sort of the journey my journey into software in general. Because I, you know, like a lot of people back when I was, you know, 18, 19 in the early 2000s, there, there was definitely this like, ah, you know, you can just go you, you don't need to go to college, you can just get a job in IT, and you can work with computers very without having to kind of done the the whole computer science thing. And that was true for the most part. I was able to get into IT and it was really interesting stuff to me, just thinking about how these really complex systems worked and the actual computers that made them up, right? Like one of my earliest jobs when I was 15 years old was as the webmaster for my hometown newspaper. And the web server was a Quadra, Mac, a Mac Quadra, just sitting under a desk in the second floor of the newsroom. And what I would do every day after school is I would come in, I would fire up a copy of BB Edit, I would take the stories that had been put into, you know, Cork Express and copy the text, put it into HTML files, and then just like move them over to the server, right? Just take us, open a shared folder and just drop them in. And there you go, the new, the new paper was done. And it was really, really wild to think about, right? Like I'm doing this, you know, I am giving this, this information to people and 
how do they all get into that machine, right? How do they all get into that little, that server sitting under there? And this was the very early days of the web, you know, mid nineties. And over time that really stuck with me is like, how does this stuff all work? And it drove this interest of systems thinking that, you know, inspired me to kind of keep diving into it. And then later in life, you know, I decided I wanted to go back to school, get the computer science stuff done, you know, and move into software because IT is great, like tons of respect to people that do that as a career, but I wanted a little bit more. And so I went, did all that, got computer science, informatics, kind of the whole, the whole nine yards and coming into college as, you know, a 26 year old is very different than trying to do it at 18. The way you kind of see things and the way you deal with all those systems is very different. But because of that, I was able to get into a little software startup that you know, at the time was this company that is no longer with us called Apprenda, but they were very early, you know, very early on embraced Kubernetes. And this is back, you know, zero point whatever for Kubernetes, right? Like super early days, the whole idea of cloud native was being defined around us. And as I got into working with these very large, complex, you know, on-demand platforms, these cloud platforms, it's like you can see those systems again, right? And the complexity of those systems and how to actually understand them. And I got really tired, honestly, of sitting there trying to figure out what was breaking by grepping through a bunch of logs and looking at all this disconnected telemetry data that we had. And that led me into a company called Lightstep. And Lightstep was a supporter of a project called Open Tracing. And one thing led to another, and that's how we got to open telemetry. But while I was at Lightstep, you know, that's where I shifted from sort of engineering into developer relations. And a lot of that was kind of necessity, but a lot of it was also just interest. I've had a lot of time to kind of work and explore options, you know, outside of tech and outside of IT. And I, you know, been an adjunct professor at a college before. I've, I've done community theater, 40 billion other things. The idea of teaching people about this technology and helping them understand it and being able to be a communicator, you know, was really interesting to me. And so the idea of like, oh, there's a job where you can do that. Cool. Let me go do that came very naturally. And sometimes that's kind of the role you have to adopt when you are the creator or, or early maintainer of, a, of an open source project. There's a, a certain level of evangelism that is perhaps thrust on you, you know, the community kind of is like, how does this work? What do I do? And suddenly you're maintaining a community. I mean, nobody, nobody thinks about the website, right? Like if you're out there building the next great open source, whatever, it's really easy to kind of get caught up on like, oh, I just need the tech because there's a lot of that, you know, there's a lot you have to go through and it's, it's not a quick process and it's not a clean process to actually build the technology but as you get users and as you kind of as this community grows around you, and if you have a good idea, you will grow a community. The difference between I think between successful projects and unsuccessful ones is how well they nurture that community. Those are the people that are going to take it and run with it. There's only so much you can do as a maintainer. There's only so much you can do as like a founding member of a project versus you know what all the people that are going to come in with their own ideas and their own projects and their own sort of success criteria too right so how do you both nurture that and how do you make sure that people that are coming in with their own ideas don't feel like they're just running into brick walls over and over 
trying to do something different than you want to? How do you kind of protect your time as a maintainer? And how do you protect the project roadmap? There's all these questions that there's no manual for, right? There really isn't even a formal mentorship program for. We don't really think about, we don't teach our open source maintainers this sort of balancing act. So, you know, either you're fortunate enough to have that sort of evangelism bone in your body, or you, you find those people and you let them run with it, or you don't. And I do think this is one of the advantages of foundations, though, like the CNCF, because they can help provide some of that community muscle and some of that organizing. And they have people to do that part for you if you're not good at it. So in your case, the projects at hand here weren't necessarily open telemetry at first, but open tracing, open census, although I, th I think you were kind of on the tracing side. The merger of these two projects is kind of unique to me. Maybe this is common in open source land and, I don't, and we don't see it, but how did that come together? And I guess we probably need to address where open tracing came from. Yeah. I will point out, like, generally, actually, this doesn't happen, right? There's a lot... Uh, the odds were against us. So for context, open tracing was a CNCF project that was run by a kind of a coalition of what at the time was this very nascent idea of distributed tracing as a observability concept. People were familiar with logs, people were familiar with metrics, but distributed tracing, you know, didn't have quite the cachet that it has today. Think, you know, almost 10 years ago now when this was kind of coming up. It had been used at Google, it had been used at, you know, your metas and your very large scale, you know, enterprises, software-based enterprises for quite a while because it solves this really important problem of how do I understand a request path through a distributed system? And people have various forms of this using correlation, you know, log correlation and whatnot. But distributed tracing is, hey, let's apply a model to it. Let's let's build an ecosystem around it. So open tracing was supported by Lightstep. They are now part of ServiceNow, but at the time was an independent company. Some engineers from Uber who worked on a project that still exists called Jaeger, which is a trace visualizer. Some Zipkin maintainers. Twitter pre-acquisition was kind of a huge user of distributed tracing and a lot of the people internally there built out a lot of the stuff that we still use today conceptually. So there were all these people and they were working on, you know, defining a open standard for just a tracing API, right? With the idea of, hey, if we have a standardized API for this, then everyone can rely on that. And then different observability vendors can implement that API for their particular tool. Kind of concomitantly with some of this, Teams at Google and Microsoft were working on something called Open Census, which had very similar aims, but slightly different implementations details. So Open Census included not just an API, but a SDK to actually let you kind of use all this. It had more affordances for sort of a larger ecosystem of tools around it. Now, in the public eye, these were very similar projects. They both accomplished mostly the same thing. And that was kind of silly, right? Like there we would have open source developers or library maintainers come up and be like, well, I have users that want to add, they, they want tracing in my library, but I don't know what I should do. I don't know, should I use open tracing? Should I use open census? Because you two are not compatible with each other. And there doesn't seem to be a real alignment in the community around which of these things is going to win. 
And what we saw happening was people would basically say, I don't want to make a decision. I'm just going to wait. And one of these things is going to go away and the other is going to succeed. And that makes my decision for me. And there was a there was a time, and this was around the end of 2018, October ish, I want to say, where I got into a Twitter argument with some people about this specific topic of open tracing versus open census. Some of us saying like, "This is silly. Like, why are we arguing about this? Because we all want the same thing, right?" I took that back to the other open tracing maintainers and to other kind of people in the community, and we reached out to the CNCF and said, "Hey, can we get someone to like?" Like, let's figure this out, right? Let's get a mediator in here. Let's get a small group together to talk about this, figure out the feasibility. And, you know, if it is feasible, let's merge these things. Because it is wild that there's these two projects that both are basically doing the same thing. And it's it's harming the overall, you know, observability community by there not being a single answer. So let me get this straight, Austin. The creators probably had some vested interests you know, and seeing their project continue and maybe be the winner. And so maybe both projects were kind of inclined to like not fight it out, but kind of continue in, in, in hopes that they could end up on top. It's very easy to kind of overlook structural versus individual kind of reward semantics when we talk about open source. So at the time, the good thing is that I would say neither of these projects were actually like stunningly successful. They were both standing on their own two legs, but you know, in the case of open tracing, like there were decisions that had been made early on in the project that weren't really panning out. There were things that like we knew it's like, if we could have done it all over again, what will we do differently? You know, that's the point we were at. And I think on this open census side, they were seeing this similar kind of, we're spending all this effort trying to go against this other thing that's mostly duplicative of what we're doing, you know, and we're wasting time on this. And so there were a lot of systemic barriers, I would say, to, you know, the idea of like, oh, we have all this invested already. Why change? But, you know, I don't want to dismiss in this specific case, like, there was really down to like, hey, the right people were in the room. Yeah, this idea of like power brokers coming together and is is just awesome. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say power brokers. I mean, the way I kind of I joked about it, you know, there's maybe like 50 to 100 people in the world that really really care about this stuff, and it just so happens that enough of them were part of this these small groups that we were able to make progress. But yeah, in a lot of cases it was like the individuals in question were able to kind of see past the systemic incentives the competition and do what was right for the community writ large, do what was right for sort of the observability world writ large. And I think looking back, because in 2023, we kind of hit five years since the initial conversations. And I've spent a lot of time thinking back about it. it. It's been more successful than I could have ever imagined. Like when I initially, you know, when, when this originally happened, you know, the idea that we've gone from these two fairly niche things, duking it out, you know, metaphorically with each other to becoming, you know, the second fastest growing project in the CNCF. Like we're almost as big as Kubernetes when you look in terms of like contributions and, you know, pull request activities and commits and all this other stuff. Like that's massive over a very short amount of time. And I credit that 
to yes that initial like those initial group of people most of which those core contributors are still here with us and they're still involved in the project but also to this really amazing community that we've been fortunate enough to build and how they have kind of come along with us on this journey so let's let's now talk about what is open telemetry now become and it plays a unique role actually in the ecosystem an increasingly important one it seems i would agree yeah the idea behind open telemetry is pretty fun to, you know is actually fairly straightforward to explain it is the idea that if you're running any kind of software system any kind of computer system you know cloud native whatever you need to understand what's going on in that system in order to fix bugs in order to understand how it's performing in production in order to you know make improvements do whatever you need data about it you need telemetry data and in order to really you know as our systems have gotten more complex you know the needs of that telemetry that what we want that telemetry to do has also gotten more complex and to really support modern and next generation cloud native workloads we need a new way of thinking about that telemetry data. We need standards for it. We need standard ways to not only talk about it using our words, but standard ways to kind of communicate it from cloud provider to cloud provider or from software to observability system. We need common nouns and verbs. We need common metadata on our telemetry so that any given HTTP server or any given cloud platform is going to kind of speak the same language in terms of what is a host name, what is an IP address. And that is what Open Telemetry does. It is a effectively an open standards project for creating telemetry data for cloud native systems. And the goal of Open Telemetry is to make that kind of that telemetry a built-in feature of cloud native systems. So our vision of the future is that you'll install your Express HTTP server or your React framework or whatever it is you're using, and you'll just get this really rich stream of telemetry data, metrics, logs, traces, whatever, that you can then transform and send to any backend, any front end that you want to visualize and understand that data, to turn that telemetry into observability. Now, I kind of think about this as an investor in terms of kind of business terms. For the longest time, this is a big market, observability or metrics or monitoring. You know, Splunk, Datadog, New Relic, these are big companies. If I understand historically, part of the technology and business strategy has been that you publish your own SDKs and other collecting code mm-hmm. that gets embedded in people's applications. And so, you know, switching off of New Relic or something requires changing this code. Mm-hmm. And Open Telemetry maybe provides a world in which you can add Open Telemetry instrument in your application and then use any kind of backend service. Yeah, that's certainly the objective. And in a lot of cases, like that's where we're at today. If you're running, you know, a Java or a .NET application, there are drop-in agents and libraries that you can use to get kind of your critical application telemetry data out of there and send it to over 40 or 50 different observability backends, right, including Honeycomb. And what I think is really cool about this and something that you're you're starting to see more of is this is really increasing the amount of innovation in the observability sphere, right? Because traditionally, if you wanted to, you know, make an observability tool, then you had to overcome that hurdle of like how do I get the data? How do I get the data? And that's one of the reasons that like your data dogs and Splunks and New Relics and all of these have had 
you know, have been so effective at, you know, keeping their marketing growing is that they have all these integrations. But OpenTelemetry says, like, well, what if you don't have to, what if that's no longer a, a you must be this tall to ride kind of barrier anymore? So now we're starting to see very much like shoots and leaves, right? Like we're not seeing a ton of stuff yet, but we're seeing a lot of new entrants into the market that are exploring really radically new ways of thinking about these problems. A lot of them actually end up looking kind of like honeycomb. You know, the ideas that we've been building for years around how you should think about observability and what your tools should look like. You know, we're starting to see echoes of that in newer entrants, which is really interesting. I think it's a really great validation, honestly, about our strategy and about how we approach this problem. And I think it um, provides a very disruptive moment for existing players in this because historically, you know, they've they've worked on this older model, right? Where you install their agent and you're kind of locked into their ecosystem. And that's how they bill you. And that's how, you know, all this stuff ends up working out. You know, what happens when everyone is on open telemetry and you can't just have people install your agent anymore, right? It's an interesting question. So I think historically people would choose their backend service and then they would apply the, the necessary agents and, and things. Do you find, I'm, I'm curious about like the behavior of large enterprises, are they now just adding open telemetry and then deciding later which kind of monitoring services they work with? It's a good question. Um, I've had two interesting conversations about this pretty recently. One is from a you know very smart, very small startup they're launching a SaaS application and they were trying to figure out like, what do we do for observability? The conclusion they kind of came to was we are not using any of these existing players because of expense and cost. And we don't want to be locked into that. What they decided was, you know, if we build around open telemetry, then we preserve our optionality going forward. And for now we can use kind of what we get for free, well, no, for free, not for free, but what we get with our cloud provider, Right. Because what you're seeing are cloud providers are also standardizing on this, right? Like Azure, Google Cloud, and AWS have all, you know, are all adopting open telemetry. So if you're building on those clouds with open telemetry, your stuff is now compatible with their stuff. And as you grow, you have the option to be like, okay, I need to graduate from this into something bigger, something better, and I can do that. And that's what this small team, that that was their conclusion, right? After looking uh, pretty exhaustively at both current, large, mid, and smaller entrants into the observability sphere. The other conversation I had was with the head of platform engineering at a very, very large financial services company. And the way they're thinking about open telemetry is really the same way that they were thinking about Kubernetes several years ago, where they know what they have today. And they know this massive, massive cost of monitoring and understanding their existing systems. But they also know that they are, you know, still going through a cloud transformation. They'll be doing it for a while. And for that cloud transformation, for that new cloud platform they're building, you know, Kubernetes is the center of it. They might not be running pure Kubernetes everywhere, right? They might be running some mixture of OpenShift and Elastic Kubernetes and Google Cloud and da 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 da, da. There's a lot of ways you can run Kubernetes. But the Kubernetes API, like the... The idea of Kubernetes sits at the center of this platform. And in much the same way that Kubernetes is sort of the center of the you know, orchestration and the way you're running applications, OpenTelemetry is the way 
you're understanding those applications, monitoring and monitoring those clusters, all of the different things plug into open telemetry as the center of the universe. And then you have, again, options. A lot of them are saying like, look, we, it's not, it's cost effective for us to roll our own observability stack. Like we have economies of scale that you don't, or we want to do like a hybrid approach, right? Where we, we have our data lake, our data warehouse over here. And then we have some stuff that goes into, you know, specific tools because it's important. A really interesting example of this is Slack. I think Intuit also does some stuff like this, but they build for this system where they have all of their observability data, you know, in managed data, you know, data stores that they manage, but then they can tail certain parts off of it to other platforms, other observability tools based on how important it is. And open telemetry is at the center of that too, right? Because it's not just collecting, it's not just creating the data, it's collecting it, doing data pipelines, so on and so forth. So how does open telemetry work? If we go back to the old model where my vendor provided me a bunch of agents and SDKs, is there a risk that like open telemetry doesn't address all the ways of collecting? So at a really fundamental level, you know, open telemetry provides kind of this full tool chain for creating, exporting, collecting, and transforming telemetry data. So that includes an API that can be bundled as part of a library or a framework, an SDK that lets you create and export that telemetry, um, a tool called the collector that's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. It lets you, you know, get in telemetry from open telemetry SDKs. It also lets you kind of scrape logs that are in files or listen for stats D or Prometheus metrics, and then it transforms them and sends them somewhere else. So within that, you have this huge range of options. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's designed to work with what you have today, right? If you're using some combination of, you know, stats D metrics and logs, cool. You can drop the open telemetry collector in, set up some rules, and now send that out to wherever. If you're using, you know, a fully proprietary stack, there are some agents and some ways to receive that data, you know, and transform it to open telemetry. And it's all open source. So you can kind of go in and write your own too. That's what we've, we've seen a lot of that people coming in and saying like, oh, well, I have data in this format. And if there isn't already a receiver, they'll come in and contribute that back so that, you know, everyone can make use of it. And this is one of those things where it's a rising tide that lifts all boats, right? Like everyone benefits in the ecosystem from having, you know, more ways to get data in and translate it because it makes that data more useful and it saves you as a developer. If you're a developer or you're an SRE, you don't have to think about like, you know, we can't change observability tools. Ours is too expensive. We're stuck with this forever. It's like, well, open telemetry makes that migration really painless because you can just kind of just use the collector, take the stuff you already have and shove it to the new place you want it to go. Also really good for people that are, you know, what is much more common, especially at places that have been around a little longer is, you know, yeah, you've got all these legacy services. Some of them are going to be emitting data in all sorts of different formats. You can go and you can write that yourself and plug it in really easily to translate that into a modern format and align it with your other new work so that you're getting the old stuff and the new stuff kind of hand in hand in this braid of telemetry data rather than having a bunch of disconnected tools. It's one of the things that you see a lot, I think, in the monitoring world now is developers that are trying to, you know, you're on call, something breaks, it's like, 
okay, I got to go to this over here to see the alert. And that gives me a little bit of context. And now I got to go over here and try to find that in two or three or four or five other places. And maybe I don't even have access to the place that emitted from that, you know, the original problem started at. So now I need to like page someone else or get them on Slack or Teams or whatever and have them go look in their two or three or four or five systems for the data, right? With open telemetry, we're giving you all this as an interconnected, interrelated stream. So your traces, your metrics, your logs, they're all connected to each other. They're all correlated with each other through the kind of observability context that we provide. And if you put that into tools that can really make use of it, right, like tools like Honeycomb, then it's a very transformative way of thinking about what does observability mean to me? Like, how am I actually using this to debug incidents? How am I using this to do performance profiling? It's an interesting part, okay, because it's like having the telemetry is great, but telemetry does not equal observability by itself. And just collecting a bunch of data doesn't give you any value, I think that's what's cool about Honeycomb, why I like being there, is that I think we really do have a great way of looking at that data and helping you get value out of it. But I also think that it really helps push the industry forward and helps say, like, hey, it's not enough just to have everyone kind of locked in and your agent or whatever to get the data. You actually have to do something with the data. And that's what's going to kind of advance this field more so than just focusing on collection or storage. You kind of describe a narrative which is interesting that you could have this startup, for example, whose motivation is more like avoiding lock-in and maybe managing costs, adopting open telemetry, instrumenting everywhere. And then if they choose something like Honeycomb, they end up in this world where like actually we're doing observability better than we've ever done it before. Like, like I, I went into this journey with, with avoiding lock-in and, and lowering costs, and I ended up doing super advanced observability and getting a bunch of visibility in my systems which is saving me time and money in different ways. Yeah, it's about prioritization, right? Like when you're at that new startup level with 10 people, you want to optimize for different things than when you get to 50 or 100 or 200, right? Like that's the whole the whole startup journey is just like figuring out the right time to make different trade-offs. And I think open telemetry gives you that flexibility, you know, regardless of like your organization size. Because even, you know, very large companies are going to go through those trade-offs. Like, we've seen this over the past couple of years with the changes in macroeconomic conditions. A lot of people are doing a lot of belt tightening. And they're looking at every contract and they're looking at every penny of observability and monitoring spend and asking, like, what are we getting out of this? And I want people to be able to, like not have to look at it and say like, well, if we lose this spend over here, then we literally don't know what's going on anymore because we're reliant on some proprietary agent, right? Like, I think that's a bad corner to get backed into and move to a point where they can say like, oh, well, we can be intentional about our choices in how we spend on observability and monitoring. We can be intentional about like our investments in this. Can we do more custom telemetry? Can we do more in terms of sampling? Can we do more in terms of making like really reactive, responsive systems? But you have to have that telemetry data and it has to be open and it has to be vendor agnostic. And that is, when you get down to it, like that's why open telemetry is inevitable, right? Like that is the 
at, at the heart of all of this is open telemetry is solving a really big problem for a lot of people, which is why it's been as successful as it's been. So this, this successful project, you mentioned it has as many, I don't know if it was contributions or whatever metric it was relative to Kubernetes. Where do OTEL people hang out? So it, it's part of the CNCF, which some people highly associate with Kubernetes. And, and so if you go to KubeCon, there's like an OTEL day, right? Yeah. So we have a pretty broad community. You know, it, it's, I actually looked the other day and... Something like over the past five years, like three or four thousand contribution, like different unique companies contributing, spanning everything from you know very small to you know Fortune fifty. So not everyone is contributing an equal amount. Obviously, there's a core group of you know ten, twenty, mostly companies that are involved in the space. You know, your Splunks, your Honeycombs, your Light Steps that are doing a lot of the work, but everyone tends to come together online. We have weekly meetings for all of our SIGs. We have a lot of stuff gets done on GitHub, like most good open source projects. We have Slack channels in the Cloud Native Computing Foundation Slack. And then twice a year at KubeCon in Europe and in North America, we try to have a lot of open telemetry content at those. One thing we started doing at the end of last year in KubeCon in Chicago is we have this new thing called the Open Telemetry Observatory, which is a just a bigger sort of project booth. It's sponsored by Splunk and it's it's a place to kind of have these people, you know, have people come together, whiteboard out stuff. It's a real fun way for the community to kind of like see each other in person and, and get together and talk. We also have Observability Day at KubeCon. Actually, we're gonna have another one here in mid-March in Paris, which is going to be actually been so successful, we've had to expand it to two tracks. So it'll be the first time that's happened. There's just so many people that want to come and share their open telemetry stories and their observability stories in the cloud native world that, you know, we had to kind of get, well, it was more seats or uh, more talks and we, we went with more talks. So hopefully that'll go well. And we should also be having some specific community days this year as well, hopefully over the summer. The best way to find out about all this is to keep an eye on our website, opentelemetry.io. Well, I, I think you're in an envious position of, you know, you get paid to work on open source and a really cool project with an awesome team. I'd like to think so. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was great to come on. Really fun conversation. You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.